All right, y'all, welcome to the Free Mind Podcast. We have a super special guest for y'all today. Brother Lennox is in the house, and y'all ain't ready. All right, well, welcome, welcome, Lennox. What's going on, man? How you doing, brother? I'm doing very well. It's it's so good to see you both. Um, I'm really honored to be here. Just really excited to talk about uh, our topic tonight as well. So thank you so much for for having me on. Man, it's our privilege. I think I discovered you recently on Instagram. <clears throat> just bringing heat, man. It's like every everything you put out there is just like it's on point. You can tell when someone like has just this thick, robust foundation behind these, like, even these short character tweets or whatever you call them, posts, but it's just rich and it's yeah. thick, and I want to get right into it, but before we do, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? I, I don't know much about your background, where you're from, touch us yeah. a little bit if you don't mind. Yes, yeah, that's, that's good. Thank you so much, um, and I'm glad you think my posts are, are good. At least someone does, you know? <laughs> <laughs> They're amazing. Yes, that's funny. Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, I am, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord, um, and I'm really honored to serve Him. Uh, husband to a wife named Simbi, and uh, a father to two children. Um, uh, my firstborn son, his name is Sage, and I've got a little girl as well. Her name is Arwen. Um, so, you know, for all of you Lord of the Rings fans out there, um, <laughs> but I've got a, my own little Arwen in my house. So. Um, that's a bit about my family. And uh, I also just do a lot of Christian worldview development where, where I am. I currently live um, in uh, a country that's in sort of the heart of sub-Saharan Africa called Lusaka, Zambia. Capital city is Lusaka, country Zambia. Um, for those of you guys who would be familiar with perhaps Conrad Mbewe or Vodi Borkum, uh, we're sort of in the same, in the same space. So uh, that's, that's where I am. Um, and I do some writing. I get wonderful opportunities to speak on college campuses and uh, various places uh, just on Christian worldview, a wide variety of subjects. Um, in the last few years, um, I've had wonderful opportunity to engage with people on social media as well, um, just posting some of my thoughts. Um, so, yeah, that's a that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. Uh, that's great, man. And <clears throat> I imagine that, yeah, you you. You probably don't have some. Uh, you probably do have some haters out there. <laughs> the stuff you post is, is too much. Too much truth, man. You get. You got. You need an all-time trigger warning on the top of your post. <laughs> but um, certainly. <laughs> so yeah, just want to talk a little bit about one of the things I see you posting on often is kind of this idea of statism. Um, That's right. Maybe would you mind just telling our listeners what that is a little bit and how yeah. how it's like. How does it compare to what the biblical view on government might be? Yeah, that's really good. Um, so, yeah, statism, just to kind of give a bit of background, is the idea that um, or the claim that the state has the authority um, or ownership of every single aspect of life. Um, that's that's a very basic gen, uh, definition of what statism is. Um, so it's this idea that the state is an all-encompassing entity that presides over over everything um, from the economy to how families function to healthcare, education, you name it. Um, and 
I, I think the reason I talk about it quite a bit is because it's 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 a destructive way of, of thinking about things. Um, it's 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 never a good thing when the government assumes this kind of position in any society. Um, I'm yet to discover a single country anywhere on this on this world where statism has caused it to flourish. Um, it's it's always been a destructive idea, um, and it's it's a destructive idea fundamentally because it goes against what God's idea for what the government is supposed to be is, um, and because it goes against God, it can never be a fruitful idea. Um, and I'm sure we can unpack that <laughs> over the course of this of this conversation, um, but. Basically, that's what statism is. That's what statism does. And fundamentally, it opposes God. It's, it's actually a defiant idea. It's a defiant claim uh, that is fundamentally atheistic, uh, fundamentally rooted in secularism. Um, and when you throw away God, when you throw away his dominion and rule over the earth, basically you're left with human beings who are trying to um, battle each other out for power. Um, and that's that's how we arrive at, at statism. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and so you t- let's let's unpack that a little bit about the biblical perspective. Like, so if you have a theistic worldview, particularly a biblically theistic worldview, what does that mean for government? Because I think a lot of Christians, especially here in America right now, we haven't been taught anything about civil government what's its design what's the nature of it does it even have a place is it something we just have to live with you know what is this thing does god have anything to say about it or what does he have to say about it in your view yeah that's a that's that's a that's a very important question as you said i think we need a lot of christian a lot more christians um to have an answer to this and especially in the last few years um it's become quite apparent that a lot of Christians are deficient in their understanding of what the state ought to be. Um, now, from Scripture, uh, when you look at what God has ordained the state to do, uh, when you see what God has um, has set as their their sort of sphere and function, it's mainly to do two things. And uh, firstly, it's to punish evil mm-hmm. and to condone good uphold or condone good. So punish evil, condone good. Essentially, the state is God's ministry of justice um, in in society on earth. Um, So they preside over law. Um, They make sure that that evildoers are punished for breaking the law. Um, And basically, the people who are doing well and doing good they leave them alone, <laughs> right? Um, a good government, I think, in large part, is one that leaves its people alone, especially if they're not doing anything evil or wicked. Um, mm. So uh, th- that, that's really it. The government exists to punish evil and to condone or uphold good. Um, and just as you said, um, there are a lot of people who need to gain an understanding of this. and. Um, it's interesting that we're having this conversation now because where I live, I live in a part of the world that is fundamentally statist, right? Mm. Um, I, I look at the Western world and they're, they're drifting left and they're drifting toward uh, this totalitarian idea of what the government is supposed to be. Um, I live in a country that is fundamentally statist. Mm. Um, I live in a country that is 
fundamentally influenced by postmodernism and postcolonial theory and socialism. Um, and I, I've seen firsthand what this what this way of of thinking has done and the kind of corruption it it causes. And perhaps that's why I'm so passionate about it as well. It's because I see it. Um, and you know, of course, I've, I engage with a lot of people. Um, in, in the Western world, specifically the United States. And I'm concerned about what I see there because a lot of the rhetoric I hear from politicians and the culture at large is, is concerning. Uh, you can see people have really bought into this idea that the state presides over everything. And that's going to be catastrophic. <laughs> it, it really is. Um, sometimes I think I feel <laughs> like I, I want to tell uh, specifically Americans uh, you know, my name is Lennox and I'm from the future <laughs> and I've come to work about <laughs> yes. what statism does. And if you keep going down this path, uh, it, it's this is not going to be good for you. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a bit about that. Yeah, no, that's great. What what you know, I, that, I do see you as that kind of a voice from the outside trying to desperately to warn us about where we're going. Why has it been, so, from your viewpoint, why is it, that, how has the left been so successful in dragging us towards something that clearly, like any, any empirically based thinker, should be able to look around and see what statism leads to? How have they yes. so successfully brought us this far down this path already and even many churches are helping carry water for that those ideas yeah again fantastic question and i think it's i think they've done this primarily uh through two avenues uh one is through media um so if you flood media with all kinds of messaging um all kinds of imagery um all, all kinds of uh, you know i guess representations of you know status status rule that's that's how they do it first and foremost and i think this is something they've been very patient about and strategically done for perhaps several decades i don't think this is something that just came up overnight um i think this was an agenda they've had for uh, for quite a long time um you know i think about uh, i don't know if you've ever heard of the book after the ball and it was written by uh, uh, you know, these two guys who basically had this plan for how they were going to corrupt culture um, to accept homosexuality through the use of media um, by sensitizing people to all kinds of messaging, jamming people, which is basically making them feel guilty for being opposed to homosexuality and conversion, which basically either silences people or brings them over to their side to be proponents and advocates for their cause. Um, and so we see that throughout media, and that's one avenue that they've used. But the other one is even more sinister, and I think is perhaps even more dangerous, and that's education. Um, I think public education has been uh, one, of the, one of the things that uh, the left has used to propagate their propaganda. Um, and to just kind of give you an example of where I live, and I recently wrote an article about this, um, you know, in the in the 70s, there was a dictator in Zambia who had written a book uh, on humanism, and it was compulsory reading in schools and all government offices, right? Um, and that was a very big tool that had that, that was used to propagate a socialist culture. Um, so they're not just you know the left is not just trying to attack policy; uh, they're going after the culture. Right. And we need to understand that. 
Um, this is not just about having laws in place and getting their way. And I think they're, they're already at that point anyway, but they've had such a strong influence on the culture, on the kinds of values and beliefs people have, um, and they've influenced the way people live. And so I'd say media and education are really the vehicles that have driven this push from the left towards statism. That's so good. You mentioned laws. Can you talk about laws and how um, the Bible plays a part in laws or in, in your view? You could talk about it from your country, with your perspective, and then what you see happening in America. Where should the government, how should the government base its laws? Yeah, that's very good. I think the, the one thing that we need to understand first and foremost is that governments are not the architects or originators of morality and ethics, hmm. all right? We need to understand that. Um, and sometimes I think we, we often get that wrong, but we get that wrong because we think the government is this all-encompassing entity that should preside over everything. Uh, they do not determine what morality and ethics are. Hmm. Um, and fundamentally, laws are, uh, are meant to be rooted in God's moral law, right? Very simply, just take the Ten Commandments. Um, uh, that's a wonderful set of laws that God has given us um, for a variety of reasons. And one of them is to restrain evil. And again, the government is God's agent of restraint in, of evil in society. Um, and so uh, all laws at a civil level have to be a reflection of God's moral law. The state ought to be submissive to God and thinking and asking themselves, okay, what does it look like to govern in accordance with God's law? Uh, and the problem with having the state in a position where they're above um, all and preside over all is that we put them in positions to create laws. And what they're basically doing when they create laws are creating crimes, right, to benefit themselves. Um, and, and not really to benefit society, right, to benefit themselves, not to honor God, right, but to give themselves more power uh, and more control. Um, and again, this all begins with the state failing to mm. submit themselves to God and seeing themselves as, as God, essentially, right, uh, because then they become treated as the architects, architects of morality, of ethics, um, even of knowledge, Right. Like you discard God, you discard the idea that God is omniscient. Right. And that idea of God's omniscience is so important because it means that God is all knowing. It doesn't just mean he's well studied. It means that he's the architect of everything that can be known. So when you put the government in place of God, you start to treat the government like an entity that knows everything and knows what's best for society. Um, and that's a very dangerous place to be. Um, and so I believe that um, God's law, um, summarized in the moral law, is the, the, the framework um, that all governments should, should operate on. Um, they're, they're essentially God's ministers of justice, God's ministers of his moral law in society. Amen. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's becoming more and more clear. I would imagine you're standing over there like looking at Western civilization, America in particular, like, man, you guys have had such a great gift. Why are you so willing mm. to throw it away for absolute destruction? Yes. 
And, yes. and I think we're seeing that like all these IRS agents now they're hiring and arming um, is, is an exact fruit of, uh, of what you just said. When you don't have God's law, yeah. you're going to multiply ad infinitum um, these, these laws that they can come up with to serve their own purposes. This, these glo- in this yes. case, this kind of globalist totalitarian um, uh, getting yes. rid of the middle class and taking over everything they can. So um, what would you say to us, like the church? Like, Because ha- sometimes we can feel like, man, like what can we do about it? Um, when you try to do something about it, you're labeled as crazy or they might even th- these IRS agents come after you or they cancel you. Um, what are we yeah. to do? Is it is it too late in the game to stem the tide that's rising? Or is there anything you think we can do to make a difference in this whole thing? If you want to grow in your confidence in knowing what you believe and why you believe it, if you want to ground your faith in biblical Christianity and step into who God has called you to be, I want to tell you about a great program put on by Impact 360, and it's called Propel. Propel is a one-week transformational leadership and discipleship experience where high school students gather together to be grounded in a biblical worldview as they learn how to follow Jesus, have a godly influence, learn how to disciple their peers, and boldly live out their faith in their daily lives. So they're having two sessions this summer. The first one is June 19th through the 25th, and the second one is June 26th through July 2nd. These programs fill up really quickly, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So we'll put the link below if you're interested in looking into it and we'll see you this summer. Yeah, certainly. I think, I think there's, I think there's a lot that can be done. Um, as I told you, I live in a country where um, statism is the norm. Um, socialism is the normative worldview where I am. Mm. Um, and I've still seen God work in an environment like this, okay. right? So we're going against the tide here. Right. But just by propagating the truth, um, I believe that we can we can make ground and start to influence culture. Um, and I think America is is blessed um, in, the, in the sense that it has foundations that it can return to, mm. um, you know, and and so you're you're not all you're not you're not too far gone. It's 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 amazing. Maybe you don't even realize it, that even in. Even in this current environment, America is still so blessed. Um, you still have a constitution that some people really care to uphold. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, that, that's unheard of. Um, like, let me give you just a very practical example. Um, you know, your Second Amendment, you know, the right to bear arms. Uh, that's, that, that's such a big thing. Where I come from, right, citizens are disarmed, right? Mm. I, I, I can count how many people I know own weapons in this whole country. But the other side of it that people don't talk about is how militarized law enforcement is here. Um, police guys, police, the police force look like military soldiers carrying semi-automatic machine guns, right? <laughs> um, you, you know, when you grow up in an environment like this, it's just, maybe you don't really think about it. Um, when you come from the West and you come here, you just be shocked at what you're seeing. Um, and so to a large degree, America's blessed. Um, and I think it needs to return to its foundations. But um, in returning to its foundations, I think what needs to happen is not so much a return to, you know, conservative traditions 50 years ago. You know, it's 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 about returning to this, Amen. to God's right. That's what it's about. 
your constitution is amazing, not not simply because it makes people happy and it it's it's a pragmatic thing that just works. It's because it's it, it's it's fundamentally anchored in God's word. That's what your founding fathers were able to establish uh, when they came up with that constitution. Right? That's a blessing, and so. It's, it is really about returning to God. Like, that's really my answer here. Um, it, it's about having our, our, or, our worship ordered rightly. Again, the problem with statism is that it, it's, 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 a, it's a defiant movement against God. Um, the cure for it is getting back to the right worship of the true and living God. That's, that's where it begins. Um, it begins by understanding that the Bible is God's authoritative word, right? And, and that it is sufficient um, for us to, uh, to do all of life, um, for us to have an understanding of what the government should be and, um, and, and, and how we should be as citizens in our relationship with the government. Um, I think that's important to understand. So I think it's, it's about propagating the truths of God's word in culture, once again, um, it's about preaching the gospel rel- relentlessly. It's about making disciples. And I don't just mean uh, making disciples and teaching them just really basic surface level stuff. I'm talking about a discipleship that gives people a robust Christian worldview um, where they see every single area of life as belonging to God. Um, you know, the uh, the great Christian philosopher, former prime minister of, of the Netherlands, Abraham Kuyper, you know, he said that famous line, I'm sure you've heard of it, you know, there's not a square inch of our human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not cry, mine, right? Um, we need to understand that, and we, we should want to propagate these great truths to other people as well. Um, so God has given us the tools uh, to uh, to be an influence in culture. I think we have to believe that. I think our unbelief cripples us, right? We need to believe that God has given us what we need uh, to, uh, to push against this. Um, and it, it starts, again, with the right, the right worship of him. It starts with returning to his word. It's about preaching the gospel. It's about making disciples, giving them a robust Christian worldview. Um, and... Um, I think I think just with those things, we'd, we'd, we'd already start to see um, start to see some great change. Yeah, that's that's hugely powerful. I think you said many things that were very important for our listeners. There, we're not trying to go back fifty years ago. It's a return yeah. to the foundation, um, and, and it's a return really to to biblical Christianity, robust Christian worldview. And I think what you hit on there was so important is the lack of. Uh, how is it that we have a hundred and something million Christians supposedly in America yeah. and we've we've allowed them to walk in like not yes. unchecked almost and yes. basically implant implement a complete takeover plan without even batting an eye and even helping them so in, in many cases and I think the the key missing factor one of the key missing factors is the is the lack of discipleship in that area of understanding a biblical mm-hmm. framework that gave rise to the better parts when Western civilization anywhere you can look at it and say this was good it was almost inevitably because that was an application of the principles they found in the Bible. And that, but that's the Absolutely. very things. That's the very part of what the left hates right now. And mm. and I think you mentioned the media and academia, yeah. but there's also mm. been 
this crazy move in the last few years with BLM and the wokeness and, and that kind of stuff. Can you talk about the connection between that and statism? Like what, because on the surface, I don't think people see that connection. They think we're yeah. working for justice and we're working to right the wrongs and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to lift up the downtrodden. So many Christians, I think, have been taken in by these ideologies and they're helping to propagate this terrible statism without even knowing it. But can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's such a profound question, because um, I think if we understand this, if more Christians understand this, I think they'll be able to see through some of these ideologies. Now, we need to understand that a movement like Black Lives Matter, an idea like critical race theory and statism are all sort of born from the same idea, which is postmodernism. Um, and let me explain. Postmodernism um, has two principles. The first principle is what's referred to as the knowledge principle, uh, which is basically the idea that truth is relative, right? Truth is subjective. Um, and then there's also what is known as the political principle of postmodernism, which is basically the idea that um, subjective truth is propagated by whoever's in power, right? Um, so postmodernism is really about power. Uh, so again, you look at a, a movie, a, a, sorry, a movement like critical race theory, you look at the social justice movement that is fundamentally rooted in this idea that um, oppressed people need power, right? This is not really about justice. They like to use these words, right? This is about power. Uh, and that's the thing with postmodernism. Postmodernism is about power over truth, right? This it, it, is not about truth at all. It's, it's all about power. Um, and the way uh, uh, a movement like BLM will attempt to get power um, is through statist policy, right? Uh, what they want to do is assume their own power and the state is sort of seen as the agent that's going to provide them this power, right? So the two ideas are, are greatly connected. Um, and th that's the danger here. Once people get on the BLM train, once people get on the critical race theory train, they're fundamentally, sorry, they are, they are intentionally and inevitably headed toward statist government. Uh, they're inevitably headed toward a totalitarian approach in how society is, um, is ordered. Um, and so I think that's, that's very important to understand, just the influence that postmodernism has had um, with in both these ideas, um, and to kind of give you a, a, a an example of you know where I live, um, post-colonial theory is another idea that sort of came out of you know postmodernism as well. And post-colonial theory is often referred to as postmodernism's first application. Mm. Um, and so a society like 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 mine has fundamentally been built on a social justice premise, right? And uh, it's, it's, it's been catastrophic. Um, it's opened the door for other ideas like feminism. Um, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's open ideas to globalism. You know, at this point, there are several African countries that are run by globalist entities like the World Economic Forum and the UN. Um, it's got that bad, you know, they mm. influence African policy a lot more than even local governments do, right? That, that, that's important to understand. And once you get on this Marxist train, 
um, there, there's no stopping it. This is one of those consequences of buying into uh, Marxism, buying into postmodernism. Um, it wreaks havoc. Man. So good. Yeah, I think I think you're you're right on with that. We see the World Economic Forum and its influence, and I think we that can be said about America right now, unfortunately, as well. Um, can you maybe you talked? Yeah. So the the idea here is BLM CRT is directly coming out of postmodernism. Postcolonialism was the first application you said, uh, or um, yeah, I think that's what you said. First application of some of those ideas and feminism being related to that. Can you talk a little bit about feminism and this kind of? You often talk about that on your on your uh, social media thing, but the the war on biblical masculinity, in other words, or, or manhood. Can you just what's the connection with that piece and statism? Sure. Sure. Um, so again, uh, feminism also flows out of. Uh, uh, postmodernism. Um, it's built on this Marxist premise that um, women are inherently an oppressed group and that men are an oppressive group. And therefore, women need this empowerment that's going to bring about some sort of gender equality in, um, in society. Um, and uh, you, you sort of see how um, they look to the state to sort of reorder society, right? Status love feminists, <laughs> and they really do. Uh, because um, with feminism, you get women who can leave their homes, right? So basically that weakens the kind of uh, power that a, a patriarch in the home would have. Um, they're gonna have more taxpayers, right? Because now you have a lot more women in the workforce. Um, and basically, you have activists who can make a lot of noise and basically, you know, provide political campaigns for uh, for governments as well. Um, and so feminism and statism are, are very closely related um, in the sense that feminism attempts to emasculate men. Um, statism does the same thing. Right. In order for the state to have as much power as 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 it would want, it has to weaken men. Um, it has to. It's wow. never uh, patriarchy has to go <laughs> in order for statism to be established. And in all status societies, what you'll notice um, is that there's a deficiency um, in strong men. Uh, you'll see mm. that there is a, a great problem of fatherlessness. Um, you'll see broken marriages. You'll just see weakened men who are neutered and really just don't know any better. Um, mm. And in that sense, I think feminism is a vehicle that, again, pushes towards the statism. It's 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 something that I've seen um, socialist governments use um, to give themselves more control. Yeah, what you got? Can you talk about? I, I'm noticing uh, some of this how uh, the applications of postmodernism in culture begins to eat its own, like transgenderism. Mm -hmm is attacking yes. feminism and then you, the patriot it's all a big jumbled fight against itself towards the end do you see that happening and is that a representation of your culture as well it's it's one of those fascinating things and i've had conversations with feminists um about this because you know i know a lot of feminists who are you know uh, all about the trans movement and you know one of the questions i ask them is you know what you know under feminism, you consider patriarchy the great societal evil. 
what would you do if the patriarchy started to identify as women? Exactly. (laughs) How does that play out? You know, that's true. Because then, exactly, because then you don't, clearly you don't have a a problem anymore, (laughs) you know? Uh, patriarchy clearly then isn't your isn't your biggest problem, and so you see that this way of thinking really does eat itself, um, and, and that's the thing with ideas that flow out of secularism. And secularism promotes a culture of death. Mm. It, it promotes a culture of sterilization. It promotes a culture of fruitlessness, um, and so in a sense, it's going to eat itself. You know, um, I mean, that's the one positive. If you think about it um, in the next, I don't know, I don't know how long, maybe half century, uh, maybe in the next century or so, uh, the, the, the birth rate among people on the left is going to be significantly lower <laughs> than mm-hmm. the birth rate, you know, of conservatives. And that's they basically have done that to themselves. Right. That's what happens when you adopt a culture of death. Uh, feminism is one of those movements that has brought about this culture of death. I mean, hasn't the greatest genocide the world has ever known rested on feminist theory in abortion? Right. Um, it's it's the greatest genocide we have ever seen. That's what feminism does. Uh, transgenderism as well. It's a way to basically make people fruitless. Right. It's it's it's. It's death. It really is. Um, and I think as Christians, we need to recognize that and fight against it by being fruitful. Mm-hmm. Again, remember going back to that stuff that God told us at the beginning in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply? That's how we win, right? By being fruitful, by promoting mm-hmm. a culture of life um, while this culture of death persists. Amen. Yeah, that's so powerful, man. That's so powerful, Lennox. Um, you know, one of one of the things they're they're playing on over here, the the status and the globalists, is they're playing on past real injustices in America and past hurts. How do you right. like as a as a black African, how would you say how do we reach black Americans that might be being taken in? by some mm. of these ideologies. Have you found, have you, cause I know you do a lot of ministry over here as well. What, what right. are the, is there any, like, I know there's no silver bullet and there's no like pat answer, but are there any things that are good to do and any things that are like, no, stay away from this. Like how do we help our brothers and sisters in Christ that might be being kind of played into this manipulative um, force to, to pull them into some of these unbiblical ideologies? That's really good. Um, that's a great question. I don't want to oversimplify this answer, but it, I think the answer simply is we need to propagate the truth and just keep mm. telling it. Mm. Um, that's really where it rests. Um, and I think one of the best ways to do that is really by making disciples, mm. right? Mm. So it might, telling the truth might work sometimes in a shouting contest. <laughs> Hopefully, someone's going to listen. Uh, but it works even better mm. when you have someone's ear. And when you have someone's heart, um, I think I think that's I think that's something that I think we need to think about a lot more. And how can we how can we tell the truth through disciple making? Uh, and now let me tell you an interesting story. So I told you I live in Zambia, but I grew up in in South Africa, and uh, my family and I moved to South Africa just a few years after the apartheid government had fallen. 
And my dad was called to be a pastor of a white church in a white neighborhood. Uh, they'd never had a black pastor before. I think we were probably the first black family that ever went to that church. Um, and they still called him to pastor that church. Um, and it was it was an incredible thing. And uh, my dad knew that he was going into territory that was going to be tough. He knew that he was going to encounter real racism, right? Mm -hmm. But that was his mission field, right? And he didn't come in and start propagating social justice as a way to win people over, right? Mm -hmm. He went there, he preached the gospel. Come on. And he went there and he made disciples. Mm -hmm. And I could tell you a few stories, several stories of how that made such a huge difference in the community that um, he did he did ministry in. And that's something that critical race theory never achieves, like that kind of unity. Mm -hmm. um, and all he did was preach the truth. It's not a unity that's based on a sentimentalism. It's not a unity based on, based on ethnic diversity in a, in, mm -hmm. in, a, in a specific local church. It's a unity that's anchored in biblical truth. Um, and I think that's what we need to be propagating um, in order to push against this tide and in order to win people over as well. I think we just need to do a better job at propagating the truth in the hearts and minds of people. Amen. That's powerful. So we got about five minutes here left. I wanted to just ask maybe one more question on, you know, you talked about kind of getting back to the foundation. What would it look like yeah. to, um, to do that, like it, it, for civil government, like it, I think a lot of people worry about theocracy. Most of those people probably don't have like a real good understanding of American history or Western civilization right. history. But um, there, you, you'll often hear that in response is like, no, you can't, you know, separation of church and state taken out of context of what it really meant. Um, but what right. does that look like in, in, a, in, a, in a kind of a practical way? And how do you, how do you respond to that overall response, I guess? Right. Now, that, that's a great question. I think, I think ev again, everything has to begin with an understanding and belief in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, mm. He is Lord. Uh, he's Lord of Lords. He is King of Kings. Um, all creation ought to submit to him. I think that's got to be where we begin um, with, with his sovereignty, in fact. Um, and when we understand that, we understand then that governments ought to submit to God. Uh, and when we understand that governments submit to God, we, we also need to understand that the state is not the only kind of government that God has established, right? He's also established the church Come to on. be his ministers of word and sacrament, and he's established the family, family. right? Specifically through, through patriarchs, through men, to be his ministers of health, education, and welfare, all right? Mm. Um, this, is, this is the biblical pattern that we see. So again, you've got the state, God's ministers of justice. You've got the family, God's ministers of health, education, and welfare. And you've got the church, God's ministry of word and sacrament. And of course, you can also include self-governance, um, which is an important thing. Um, you think about the conscious as something that God has given um, for, as a way to govern ourselves in accordance with, uh, with his will. Um, and so I think when we understand that the state, the family, and the church are sort of these spheres that are aligned and have to work together with God above them. Um, I think we'll understand how God wants us to really think about this. Mm. Uh, too often, we sometimes think there's God and then the state 
and then everything else underneath. Mm. God has given us a sort of checks and balances system um, that allows us to live in the way that he has created us to live. Um, and there's something else I want to I want to point out here. I know we don't have much time, but I think this is important to note. Um, the Bible clearly teaches that all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Um, and one of the things that God has given us, again, is the law to restrain us from expressing our sin um, in the ways we possibly could. We just wreak havoc if, <laughs> if the law wasn't there. Um, of course, the law is also used as a mirror to show us our sin and our need for a savior, Jesus Christ. And the law is also used as a means through which God teaches us how we can love one another. Um, and so I think we need to appreciate how important God's law is in understanding how these different spheres should function. And when we understand the sinfulness of man, we also understand that it would be a dangerous idea to give Caesar mm. all that power, even though he's a sinner. I think sometimes we like to think that total depravity touched everyone else except the state. <laughs> but the state is composed of men who are sinners and also need some kind of restraint. So the, the, the state isn't sovereign over all things. They've got a very specific sphere in which God wants them to function. And the minute that they step outside their sphere and start presiding over things like health, welfare, um, I'd even say um, regulating the principles of worship in the church, Come on. right? Forcing churches to wear masks and all that kind of stuff, right? It becomes a tyrant when it oversteps its boundaries mm. and assumes only for something God did not give it. Um, and so again, it has to start with who God is as the sovereign Lord and King of Kings. And then it, you then look at how he's established these other spheres that are supposed to be accountable to one another and working together in order to make society flourish. Wow. What a way. That's so powerful, Linux. That's so huge, man. good. Well, literally running against the clock here, but what are some ways our listeners can get a hold of you or, or follow you or best, you know, just for them to kind of keep along yeah. with what you're doing? Fantastic. Um, just look for me on uh, Twitter. It's probably where you're going to find me the most. Um, or Instagram. Just look for Lennox Kalafungwa. Uh, I should be the only Lennox Kalafungwa. The only <laughs> other guy I know is my cousin, and he doesn't really use uh, social media that much. So just look for me, Lennox Kalafungwa, on Instagram, Facebook, um, or Twitter, uh, and we can get connected there. Awesome. Thank you so much, man, for wow. coming on. This it's been riveting. amazing. And riveting. We'll, we'll have to have you again on soon, if you don't mind, if you'll you come and hang out. I, I'd you. absolutely come back. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate this. This has been this fantastic. Thank Blessings. you. Blessings. Blessings on your Thank day. Thank you.